My local coffee shop is my Penn State World Campus classroom, giving me the full Penn State experience online. It's home to thousands of students working together with faculty to advance our careers, change our careers, or finally earn our degree. My classroom is just like every Penn State classroom because it is getting me to where I want to be. Click on the ad or visit worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. For listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Good day to everybody and welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm Stephen Jodder and in Wisconsin. Down in Texas is the one and only Armand Kafai. Up in Minnesota is Jake Watroba. Listeners, if you haven't been paying attention, we're going through a mini-series looking at the potential of the relocation of the Columbus crew by Anthony Precourt, the owner of the Columbus crew. Last episode, we focused on the Ohio perspective this episode will focus on the Texas perspective. Follow us on Twitter at Pod. We got Chris Bills of the Statement. He's going to be joining us to talk about what's going down in Austin, whether or not they really want the team, what the feel is. We also have San Antonio FC Managing Director Tim Holt. Armand and Jake, how we doing? Uh, I'm doing good. I, I feel alive. Uh, Jake, I know you're feeling good. Uh, you're in Moscow right now. <laughs> yeah, Red Square. Uh, go go L Tree. Yes. <laughs> no World Cup coverage on this episode. No though. World Cup. No, no World Cup coverage though. We're gonna talk about the potential of the Columbus Crew relocating. And one thought I have is how much MLS has been buried by the World Cup, and how much the World Cup commands. Everything we do when it shows up on Twitter and everything. Uh, I'm just quick question: Have you guys been paying attention to what's going on in Major League Soccer or USL? Or I know the U.S. Open Cup apparently had some action going on that I don't think many people really cared about. I did because Johan Crozet just scored a freaking banger Bang, yeah. from outside the box. Yep, and it was it, it was a great strike. But, I mean, it's pretty expected to not care about MLS and care about the World Cup when the World Cup's the biggest competition in the world. Well, the nice thing is they don't overlap. So you could watch World Cup in the morning and then watch MLS a few hours later. MLS, or, exactly. That's that's kind of the beauty of it. I guess. Actually. You know, it is. That's what I did on Friday. I, Friday, I watched, you know, you... Don't tell my boss, but I basically sat <laughs> and just watched the World Cup on my phone. Um, and then Friday night, I, granted, I didn't watch, uh, I didn't watch much of it, maybe about ten to fifteen minutes worth. But I watched LA Galaxy against the uh, Portland Timbers for a little bit in the U.S. Open Cup. So 
You can do both. It's okay. No, you can't do both, but it raises an interesting question. When it comes to marketing your club, especially in the state of Texas, being so vast, you already have to. If Austin were to get a team, you would have three in one state. Now, Armand, you cover FC Dallas. Do you think Austin Villa, whatever the name would be, affects FC Dallas in any way? The only way I see it affecting FC Dallas is that some of the fans in Austin, because I do know there are some Austin-based FC Dallas fans, might jump ship to join the Austin team, which, I mean, it would make total sense if they did. I mean, there is not much any that much impact I think it would make on FC Dallas itself because the sheer proximity, I mean, what's a three, three and a half hour drive from Dallas to Austin, Houston, it might be less. And I haven't seen anything from FC Dallas that's going to prompt me to say that anything in MLS will make them change how they do things. I think they'll always do things at the way that they want to. And there won't be any changes. I mean, unless Austin comes out just dominating and teams and fans, excuse me, from Frisco start jumping ship to Austin, which I would find really bizarre because I don't think that would, that would make that would, that wouldn't make any sense. But I think that's the only way you'd see any potential changes for Dallas if Austin were to come into the league. Uh, Houston is closer. It's about a two and a half hour drive. I I think both fan bases when it comes to losing people, I don't think there's much to worry about. I do wonder if it puts a little more pressure on the front offices to bring in talented players to succeed because I think Austin will inherit a really good team in the Columbus crew if everything you know just shifts. So there might be the need or the want to go out there and be the best team in Texas. Now, would there be a realignment? Would Austin still stay in the East when you have Dallas and Houston be in the West? There's no way they'd have to move to the West. But there's there's no way there's no way that team would stay in the East. There'd have to be realignment. I guess you'd see a team like maybe Minnesota move to the East. Would that be fair, well, Jake? Keep in mind though that there are, uh, Cincinnati is coming into the league next year. So with Nashville, so, and so with Nashville. So there's your replacements essentially for Columbus. But right now we're at, uh, we're at an imbalance. So we're at 13 and right. We're, it's it's not split. It's twelve and eleven, right? Because twenty three. So if you have moving to the, the Austin, you'd have team in. So that so that thirteen and eleven. Nashville isn't coming in until twenty twenty. So I guess you would just move them over and have Cincinnati slot in to be thirteen and twelve. Wait for Cincinnati and then become thirteen and thirteen. So right, yeah, yeah. makes makes sense to me. Yeah, I know it's it is interesting how. The fact that you will have to realign MLS if the if Columbus Crew moves. Wow. My math is wrong. My math is it's wrong. It's eleven and twelve. It, it's 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 eleven and twelve. You have twelve and tw- I, for some reason counted Columbus as an expansion side. So um, <laughs> it'd be it'd be twelve. It'd be twelve and twelve. So you'd end up having a team a thirteen and eleven because Austin is going to move to the west. There's no way a team in Texas is going to play in the Eastern Conference. So what team are you going to move to the east? I, I think it's actually Minnesota. Nashville will. Na- Nashville isn't in the league. They start twenty twenty, not twenty nineteen. Twenty twenty. So you got thirteen and eleven. You're gonna. So what you're gonna temporarily? You're gonna temporarily move a team to the east? Then is that what you're saying? 
You're gonna have to move someone to the East. There's an imbalance. I think you move Minnesota. It makes the most sense. It's interesting how this could potentially affect your Minnesota United, Jake. Somewhere thousands well, of miles away. You know, I'm not too worried about it. They can't compete in a bad Western Conference, <laughs> so I don't think moving to the East will have much effect on where they are in the standings. No, but um, when it comes to the front office, Armand, do you think Dallas would be incentivized to go out and make some bigger splashes if Austin are going to be a flamboyant team that we see in the Columbus crew? I think uh, Austin would rally behind it. People would be excited. I think there needs to be a buzz. I would. Al- I also think the rivalry aspect in Texas would grow stronger, and I think you would have more fun with these I guess, interstate, inter-rivalry games. Yeah, I don't think anything Austin does will impact the way I see Dallas does business. Atlanta came in, started spending, and didn't really have an impact on any other team in the league. I think it's it's only going to come at a certain point where MLS just becomes big enough and you have to spend extraordinary amounts of money that Dallas will start shifting. I don't think, I generally don't think anything that Austin will do will impact FC Dallas's front office and the way they think things, and especially with how they do things off the field. I think things would stay the exact same, to be you quite honest. Houston being a little bit closer, I, again, it's two and a half hours, so you're talking about quite a bit chunk of land. Do you think we could say the same thing about Houston? Houston's tough. I'm not sure because, like you said, the proximity, it's a, it's a little bit closer, but I also don't think they would change things either. I, they have no reason to. Their team has a bit of success with the what lowest payroll in MLS. If you can keep that up, I mean, why would you ch- try to change things? It would benefit the rivalry aspect. I, I think there's no doubt about that. Create a mini Cascadia Cup, something like that. I was going to say, you stole my – you stepped on my touchdown call there, Armand. I was just about <laughs> to say – The Lone Texas Star Cup. Cup or, yeah, or something stupid like that. But, I mean, Jake, as as somebody who has really no connection to Texas, would this be a fascinating thing for a neutral viewer to have Dallas versus Austin or Houston versus Austin? If there is a if – it, if it's like a – I'm trying to think of the best word here. I don't know if passionate would be the best word, but uh, if it was a rivalry like Seattle-Portland where – I mean, because it seems like MLS likes to push these – the L.A. rivalry or the New York rivalry – um, <laughs> the fake rivalry in your, the fake in your rivalries, terms. yeah. Which I guess you could argue that an Austin rivalry with either FC Dallas or Houston would be kind of fake in a way too. Um, but if there was the passion there from the fans, you know, each group of fans doesn't like each other, or if there's a uh, aspects that you know that like the cities like Houston doesn't like Austin, or Austin doesn't like Dallas, kind of like what you have with Seattle and Portland, if there's something like that then yeah, maybe that could be a good rivalry too. I, I don't know. I just, I kind of don't like those forced rivalries. I, it, it's better if they just kind of happen organically. Are you intrigued by the idea of having a team in Austin, Texas? Me? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm asking you specifically because you have, Armand and I connected to Texas, mm-hmm. so we have a biased view already to begin with. I'm biased. So it, a, a team in Austin? No, I, I, I don't think that makes sense. A team in San Antonio? I'm listening. That's more intriguing to me. All right. Well, hmm. well, Armand, do you have any final thoughts here before we get to Chris? Um, 
I guess it'd be interesting to see if there even would be a Lone Star Cup considered by fan bases. I mean, naturally, they should be, but it seems like a lot of these fans are kind of treating uh, Austin as like, oh, the other other guys are not even like relevant in their conversation. So I would be intrigued to see how that would play out. Absolutely. Well, up next is Chris Bills. Joining us now on the show to give us the Austin perspective of things is Chris Bills, a freelance writer for the Austin American Statesman. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm trying to survive the heat and uh, World Cup. It's uh, good times, but uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been, it must be busy for you covering what's going on with the city council, the fact that you might get an MLS team, and then all this World Cup stuff. Uh, it's been uh, it's been crazy uh, as far as the MLS stuff goes uh, since October. It feels like it's been nonstop. But uh, yeah, a lot, lot more city council meetings and uh, a lot more uh, legal briefings than I'm used to. <laughs> yeah, we had um, Andrew Erickson. Andrew yeah. Erickson of the Columbus Dispatch, and he said he had read a ton of legal documents. But walk us through the latest updates on where we're at with the potential of the Columbus crew relocating to Austin, Texas. Yeah, so we're kind of gearing up here for a uh, good old-fashioned Texas shootout uh, a little bit with the uh, Austin City Council, it seems <laughs> like. Uh, so on Friday, they released the agenda for the June 28th City Council meeting, which we knew was going to be a big one. Um, and there are two um draft resolutions each with uh four city council members signed on to them so if you're unfamiliar with austin city council there's 10 10 council members and then the mayor so there's 11 votes uh and so you have on one side you have uh four co-sponsors for a resolution um that would uh solicit plans for development of makala place which would include professional sports stadium plans, but also other development. Uh, so that's basically referring to some other proposals that have been made in the last few weeks since this uh, pre-proposal came out from pre-court sports ventures. Uh, so that would be kind of a longer process, and that's definitely not what uh, pre-court sports ventures wants. The other, But the other um, item 64 on the agenda for um, the 28th is... Uh, it's a proposed uh, or a resolution that would uh, direct the city manager to begin negotiations with pre-court sports ventures regarding a major league soccer stadium project to be located at McCalla Place. Uh, working t- and it gives kind of a list of outcomes for the city manager to try and achieve in that g- negotiation process. But that's very much what uh, what pre-court sports ventures has been looking for is. Um, the city to say the city council to say okay let's let's go ahead and, and negotiate a deal here for for this land and i apologize that things are kind of dry with the language on these things but uh <laughs> i find it better if i just uh, read straight off the paper so i don't mess anything up uh chris can you can you talk to us about the public's perspective on this whole deal do do you do they support it are they against the crew relocating to austin can, can you talk talk about it Talk about that with us for a little bit. 
Well, it's kind of interesting, right? Because uh, so Precourt Sports Ventures came out in October and said um, that they w- were exploring a move, uh, exploring moving their, you know, the Columbus crew down to Austin. And initially, I think, um, you know, a lot of people were at first kind of skeptical. They, you know, Austin's kind of flirted with uh, professional sports in the in the past, and a lot of people kind of thought it was just a. Uh, you know, a, a ruse to try and um, to try and um, get Columbus to to pony up some more money for a stadium. But I mean, you guys have have been paying attention to this. Pre-Court Sports Ventures has been pretty serious throughout the whole process. So it's been kind of an educated. You know, we've been kind of in the weeds covering this thing since October. A lot of people, um, you know, in the public have just kind of you know been skeptical from the outset. Um, and then the people that have been on board have been just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. Uh, and so now I think we're at the point where I think a larger portion of the city knows what's going on. Um, you've got some soccer supporters on one side that you know, are, are really, you know, interested in this happening, reaching out to city council, um, you know, kind of posting things on Twitter, you know, Facebook, Instagram, you know, social media. And then you've got on the other side, kind of this stout uh, Austin, um, you know, these people that have lived in Austin for years that uh, whenever things like this kind of come up, they, they, you know, are against, um, they tend to be against, uh, you know, development like this. Uh, So you've got kind of a a political war going on. with uh with you know it seems to be a very austin uh showdown i guess <laughs> if that makes sense what about the council members yeah. themselves though are they would they be excited by the prospect of having a professional team in all of a business i guess that comes with it and all the publicity and i guess the good and the bad yeah so that's kind of where the split is on the city council you've got uh uh, council member Kathy Tovo, uh, who has kind of been leading this process, you could say. She's the one who uh, drafted the resolution um, back in March that directed the city manager to do a study of Macala Place, uh, which is the location up in North Austin that we're talking about this proposed stadium site. Uh, and she's one of the council members that's now co-signed on this resolution that would direct the city manager to start negotiating with pre-court sports ventures. And she's signed on with that along with uh, the mayor, Mayor uh, Steve Adler, uh, council member uh, Pio Renteria, and council member Delia Garza. And so those four, it seems, are, you know, receptive to the idea, if not, you know, completely uh, positive on the idea of, of having a uh, major league sports team. I, I, you know, they had a, just their first discussion of about the the proposal uh, earlier this week on Tuesday or last week. Sorry, last week on Tuesday, um, and that was when you first started. I, I think everyone on the city council kind of they want to know more about what the exact terms of the deal are going to be, but those were definitely receptive to the idea. Can you give us more information on McCullough Place? Because, I mean, I've been doing a little bit of research, and it seems that it was some sort of, like, like warehouse or something like that, and now it has all of this uh, interest. I mean, with Precourt looking to move there and the other proposal, um, 
that was mentioned last week. Can you just tell us more about the actual site of where they want to build the stadium? Yeah, just for context, this is the third site uh, that has been uh, brought up in this process. Uh, initially, they wanted to locate the stadium at uh, Butler Shores Metropolitan Park, which is uh, more downtown. Uh, it's a cluster of baseball fields along the river. Um, but, you know, the political climate around that was, and you know, it was just a no-go with, with there being parkland along with another park, uh, Guerrero Park. So now we're to McCalla Place, which is, uh, I believe, I don't get my numbers right, but I think 11 miles uh, outside the city or outside uh, downtown, but it is uh, very close to a shopping center called The Domain, uh, which is, uh, if you're familiar with Austin, it's kind of been referred to as a, a they wanted to well, they want it to be the second downtown. It's uh, uh, there's a lot of um, new businesses going in, uh, large office buildings, uh, some trendy shops and restaurants. Uh, it's a really, you know, it's a really nice place to hang out on a on a Saturday night, um, and that would be within a mile of this Macaulay place, which is an interesting. It's a 24 acre plot of land that's set empty for about 25 years. Um, used to be a chemical plant, uh, but it shut down, I believe, in 1985 when there was an explosion on the site. Um, and then the, the city bought it eventually. Um, and in 2003, they were working to build a water plant um, there, or a, a water city water facility uh, there. And there was another explosion, uh, which actually injured several workers. Um, and so they went through the process to remediate uh, the site. They believe that uh, it's safe now, but it has set empty um, for a, a number of years uh, and nothing's been done with it. Uh, but a couple of years ago, there were some, you know, the city got close to putting out uh, a request for proposal um, and that kind of died down when uh, the city manager at the time left and now you've got some of these developers that were interested in the land then kind of raising their hand and saying, hey, wait a second, you're going to land away for a stadium. We still have interest. Uh, and so that's kind of the context. And I apologize to get kind of long-winded there, but uh, wanted to make sure to provide the context that you guys are looking for. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want to ask you about Austin's soccer culture. Do you think a, mm-hmm. a team could strive there obviously you have a team in Dallas you have a team in Houston do fans or soccer fans support either one of those do you think um that it would be even more successful than what you see in Dallas and Houston where there are two clubs there that tend to not do the best when it comes to attendance across major league soccer I mean that's the biggest unknown right I mean it's uh you know, Precourt's very confident in that. Uh, that's the reason that they want that they say they they want to to move to Austin is the, the demographics fit what they're looking for with MLS. It's young, um, you know, multicultural. Those things those things are all true. It's a very millennial city, and um, you know, I do know a lot of people that follow soccer here in Austin uh, and are very passionate about soccer, but. Uh, and, you know, we just saw the TV numbers come out the other day that Austin was the number two or number three market for the, the opening game of the World Cup. Um, and, you know, those things pop up every once in a while. Austin was in the top ten, I believe, for uh, MLS playoffs last year. But it's still, I would say it's still 
an unknown just because there's been two former professional soccer teams here. They didn't do well. Um, there's tons of circumstances that led to that, uh, you know, the, the poor attendance at the at those games. Uh, I don't know if you guys want to get into that whole uh, backstory. It's kind of it's kind of interesting in, in itself. But um, I would say it's still an unknown. But you know, there are people that are very confident, and there's there is a soccer culture here. It's just a matter of um, doing it the right way um, to draw in all those different communities in Austin because the soccer culture here is very spread out. You've got the families in the suburban areas who, um, you know, take their kids to play for Lone Star uh, Soccer Club is one of the top uh, clubs in the country when it comes to uh, U.S. Soccer Development Academy and things like that. Uh, So and then you've got, uh, you know, large um, Hispanic and Latino um, culture here. Um, Obviously, you know, those that's been a thing that MLS has has struggled to draw from in other markets, but some markets has worked. It's worked fairly well, um, and so it's just a matter of doing the right things, uh, and that'll be determined if and when Precourt Sports Ventures gets the gets the chance to do that. I guess uh, that's the best way I can answer that question. I'm sorry I don't have a better answer, but that's been something that's been that I've been trying to uh, figure out myself for the last eight or nine months. Is is how quickly is this thing going to take off? It's still it's still a question mark to me. Chris, I kind of want to switch gears here and talk a little bit more about uh, Anthony Precourt um, and his intentions with the Columbus crew. Uh, about two weeks ago, we reported that uh, a source with knowledge of the situation uh, had told us that there was conversations between Precourt uh, and Sacramento. Uh, and then about, I think, last weekend, too, there was an article in the Sacramento Bee kind of hinting towards the, the Sacramento Republic ownership having discussions with uh, pre-court. You know, they were essentially looking for another investor in order to get the club to MLS. Have you heard of those discussions at all? Have you heard any whispers of pre-court maybe looking to move Columbus to Sacramento instead of Austin? Yeah, it's uh, that's. I mean, that's definitely been something that's been brought up throughout this process. Uh, we talked to Anthony Precord himself in in March, and our columnist, great columnist Kirk Bowles, uh, asked him straight up about uh, you know whether that was a possibility, whether there was a you know what was what's Plan C, right? Uh, um, have you been talking to Sacramento? We asked him straight up, and. And Anthony didn't really give a straight answer. He said, uh, you know, we're here to talk about Austin. He said the same thing when we tried to ask some questions about, some questions about Columbus. He wanted to talk about Austin in that, uh, in that interview. He made that very clear. So whether that, you know, says that he's had discussions in, in Sacramento, I wouldn't go that far. But uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, it Say this, I do believe that uh, that they're very serious in, in pursuing Austin. I, I don't think that um, it's any kind of play to try and get money from other other markets by any stretch. They're serious. They've spent. They say they've spent two million dollars here uh, trying to make this thing happen. So I, I do think this is this is their plan A. That's this is what they want to happen. Uh, but if they don't get the right thing in uh, in the city council. Uh, meeting on June 28th, uh, you know, all bets are off of what that might mean, I would say. And in the article uh, from the Sacramento Bee, it also mentioned that an Austin law firm was seeking course, uh, seeking correspondence between 
looked like, I think, a pre-court in Sacramento. Do you know anything about what that Austin law firm was looking for, if you are familiar with it? I'm I'm not familiar with that. Uh, I have some ideas kind of poked around a little bit, but uh, I don't have any. I don't have anything to add to that, really. Is it is there a feeling that pre-court could, I guess, for lack of a better term, snake Austin to go to Sacramento? And do the council members do they have any in, input into the, I guess, the, the talks between pre-court and another city like Sacramento? I don't believe that the city council has any uh, knowledge of any talks with the, another city. Um, and um, sorry, go back to the, what was your initial question there? Well, I was I, I was just wondering if, if the city council had any knowledge or if, if you think they take that in consideration regarding pre-court's plan C uh, whether or not they are taking that as a real option or if, if that's in the back of their mind when it comes to, okay, what should we do here? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think that's really under consideration for the city council as far as, uh, you know, they know, they know what the, the, the timeline that pre-court is giving them is that the, they want the decision before the, the city council goes on a six week break um, they won't meet again until August, uh, the, I believe the first or second week of August, um, after this June 28th meeting. Um, and they've said that they want to move the team here, uh, in March of 2019. So, so next spring, which means that they need to, they need the process to start moving forward here in Austin. As far as Sacramento, I, I've, you know, I've still got a lot of questions when it comes to that possibility of whether that even is a possibility. Right. Um, because, you know, as far as we know, you know, Don Garber has admitted on, on, uh, multiple occasions now that, that there was some kind of clause in the contract that allowed Anthony Precourt to move the team to Austin. What the terms of that, uh, were, we're still not sure, but, uh, it would seem to me based on the, you know, the things that have been on the record from Don Garber that that clause does not allow him to move to another city. And so what would that mean? Would that mean, um, that he would just become another owner for the, the, the Republic and they would fold the Columbus crew. I, I don't know. I, but the terms of, uh, that contract and, and you get, you guys know as well as I do that MLS can write the rules as they go. Right. Um, so, so the, I mean, they could change their mind on that, but, uh, everything that we know to this point, doesn't point to me doesn't point to the Columbus crew moving directly to to Sacramento in 2019. That seems a bit, um, a bit quick, if not, uh, you know, against everything that, that, that we've kind of known about this process, uh, here in Austin and and in Columbus. Well, Chris, I'm going to ask you one last question here. And do you have any feeling in your gut where this is going to end up? Will Austin have, I guess rebrand to Austin Villa. That's what I want. Austin Villa. I believe that's an awesome name. But <laughs> where where do you see this thing? Where do you see this going? Uh, I do have two names trade trademark. I believe it's FC Austin and Austin Athletic. Uh, and I, I have heard Austin Villa. That would be a terrific name, but I haven't seen it on the books yet. So uh, still, I guess keep your fingers crossed. I guess we got a trademark or something, though, yeah. right? Yeah, there you the go. Then maybe you could get some money. Uh, but as far as my gut, uh, you know, I, that's the big question. I get that question probably 
every day, you know, three or four times a week, and if not multiple times a day. And, um, you know, that's not, it doesn't, I, I think I've been following this as closely as anybody, um, along with Andrew Erickson of the dispatch, she's been done tremendous work, uh, you know, there keeping people informed. And, um, you know, I think we'll know, we'll have a whole lot better, uh, idea after this, uh, June 28th city council meeting. But, uh, I would say that Anthony Precourt's will is to move the team to Austin. Uh, but whether or not he can get that done or, or not is still up in the air. That's, uh, that's the answer that I, that I have at this point. Uh, and as far as a gut feeling, I, I'm not, I'm just not going to go there because I, I don't think, um, you know, that I don't think that's my role, uh, in this as a, as a journalist. I'm just trying to, to follow things, you know, keep up with it as closely as I can. And, um, when there's news to report, I'll report it. But, uh, you know, you guys, uh, if you've been following, you probably know as much as I do. Yeah. Well, I think Andrew said it's just unpredictable. And if, if somebody tells you they do know, then they definitely don't know. But we appreciate it, Chris. Where can yeah, we, where, that, that's a good answer as well. Yeah. Where can we find your stuff? Tell the listeners where we can uh, keep up to date with what's going on in Austin and where we can find your work. Yeah, um, so follow me on Twitter. It's just at Chris Bills, uh, uh, just C-H-R-I-S-B-I-L-S. And then uh, statesman.com is where you'll find uh, myself and Kevin Lytle uh, keeping uh, keeping you up to date on the, the latest uh, in Austin, um, as well as uh, I've been kind of trying to keep up with this lawsuit in Columbus as well. Um, and uh, we'll just keep rolling on. Well. We appreciate it, Chris. Thanks again. Thanks, Chris. Thanks so much. Big thank you to Chris Bills. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter and check out his stuff. It's wonderful. It really catches you up to date. But up next is San Antonio FC Managing Director Tim Holt. All right, listeners, we are honored to have our next guest. It is the San Antonio FC Managing Director and Sports and Entertainment Vice President, Tim Holt. Tim, how's it going? Great, fellas. Great to be with you. Doing great. Tim, you actually were the president of USL from 2009 to 2015 for our listeners that don't know that. And actually, I was actually in San Antonio recently. I was actually there last uh, Wednesday and Thursday to catch the uh, San Antonio FC FC Dallas uh, match. And let me just say that the way y'all are set up, it's it's brilliant. When I was there, I was genuinely impressed. And for our audience out there that doesn't know much about San Antonio, Tim, what is the socket, soccer market like over there? Well, it's a terrific soccer market. Um, you know, like most markets in the country, uh, from a player participation, especially at the youth level, it's very robust. Um, there's probably about uh, two dozen clubs that you know are working hard to grow the sport at all levels of the game, uh, boys and girls. Uh, and then you know since uh, for about the past ten years, there's been professional soccer on the scene. First for the San Antonio Scorpions and the NASL, and then since 2016, when uh, Spurs Sports and Entertainment, which is the San Antonio Spurs of the NBA, uh, acquired the rights to the stadium here, Toyota Field, seats about 8,000. 
and the rights to a USL franchise, uh, we're going into our third year. So, you know, we look at our, our job is running the next leg of the relay and developing the sport at the professional level, um, but also creating a direct pathway for players with our academy system all the way through. So it's an exciting time to be involved with San Antonio soccer. I think all of us that are involved with the project um, are feel pretty fortunate to, to be involved. What's the comparison like to other markets in Texas compared to Dallas and Houston? What's difficult? Dallas and Houston are obviously, you know, major, probably what top 10 uh, markets in the country. So double uh, population size from San Antonio, um, which probably if you look at it from a, from a major league soccer standpoint is more akin in terms of population base to the Orlando's and the Portland's and the, um, you know, in the Salt Lakes, uh, if you will. So it's a major market. It's the seventh largest city in the country, but in terms of uh, metropolitan market, it's somewhere uh, between 20 and 30 in the country. So again, big city, major league market uh, in this country, but it's got a, a good sort of uh, small town feel to it in terms of how it supports everything, San Antonio, whether it's, you know, community events, civic related stuff and certainly the sports teams as we've seen with the Spurs and their following here, uh, not just in San Antonio, but in central and South Texas is pretty, pretty special. So uh, we enjoy sort of the best of all worlds, the big enough market that you can generate revenue, get great fan support, corporate support. Uh, but there's a real sense of, uh, of San Antonio here when you live in the market. Absolutely. And Tim, San Antonio FC was created in 2016, as you mentioned, how has the club transformed uh, throughout the past couple of seasons? Well, the first year was very, things were happening very quick. Uh, the Spurs acquired the right, I think, right around New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. And the first season, you know, was a couple of months ahead. So, you know, a couple, uh, myself, I had come in around February 1st. Darren Powell, who's our head coach and technical director, had come in a few weeks before me. And, and really the name of the game was to just, get a team on the field and uh, get into operations. The long-term ambition here has been to try to bring Major League Soccer uh, to San Antonio, a second Major League team to San Antonio. And we all felt um, the best way of doing that was by performing as a professional soccer club at the USL level. So filling the stadium, putting a good competitive team on the field, uh, being engaged in the community, not just the soccer community, but the entire community, and having a, you know, sort of a soccer authentic uh, game atmosphere that was uniquely San Antonio, very organic. So we set out uh, to that uh, right away. First year went by very quickly. I think last year, was a, 2017, was a major step forward for us in terms of just the fan support, corporate support, uh, team performance on the field, and we've tried to take that further in 2018. Uh, another sort of key part of our DNA is, uh, and I feel like in, you know, in, in the year 2018, it's not no longer optional, but uh, to be involved in, in player development and leading player development from uh, the ages of 10, 11, 12, all the way through the professional team in a market, providing a sort of defined player pathway. So we've set out uh, with two, three, actually it'll be four, this next cycle, fully funded U.S. Soccer Development Academy teams, U12 through U15, building up to connecting those two uh, with our with our first team, and we're just now the, the, our oldest group is still young, but we've just now uh, have some players that are getting into training with the first team, and 
feel like that's going to be a major part of how we build uh, San Antonio FC in the future with San Antonio kids, homegrown players. And, and it takes a while. It's a big investment by the ownership and, and by the club. Uh, but for us, that's you know sort of one of our defining characteristics. Now, Tim, we're going through a mini-series looking at the relocation of the Columbus crew and the causes and effects of all that. And we'll get to that, how it affects San Antonio FC. But I do want to ask you, you have spent time in MLS and now you're in USL. How do the two leagues compare to each other? Uh, you know, it's a great question. So fortunate to have a couple different vantage points from USL, you know, first at the league level and helping, you know, develop and grow um, the league at, at different you know, points of time and now seeing, you know, how it's thriving at, at this stage is fulfilling and seeing it from the team side is very different than the league side. Um, so it changes your perception a little bit. Uh, and then with MLS, when I was in Orlando, seeing uh, a, a market in a club that went from USL as successful as you could possibly be into major league soccer and seeing the challenges of, of that. I, I Look, MLS, you know, is leading the sport. In this country, uh, the profile of the league, both domestically and globally, is better than it's ever been before. The games are entertaining. The broadcast deals allow the fans to consume it uh, week in, week out. Some of the best players in the world are playing in the league. So it's terrific. You just go back 10 years or 20 years and compare it and see how far it's come. But USL differently, in more of a grassroots manner, is, is building sort of the foundation of professional soccer below that. So they're different in terms of, you know... I guess the, the overall system, MLS still maybe a little more centralized, USL a little more decentralized, um, although probably more similarities and differences there, to be frank. Um, and really, you know, they're kind of grown together with MLS now fielding uh, second teams in a dozen markets that play week in, week out in USL. Uh, so it's, it's, it's good to see how, how that's happening and the relationship's strong, yet, you know, both have their own individual, you know, sporting and business uh, objectives as they go as they go forward. So I think people think that they're radically different. They're probably more similar uh, than different, both in the business of you know providing professional soccer as the highest level in, in the markets in which they operate and field teams. Um, but everybody with the same objective and goal, which is sustainable pro soccer leagues for you know generations to come, hopefully. Tim, you actually helped get that MLS-USL relationship going, right? Yes, that's correct. How, how did, how did uh, that come about? Well, you know, look, it's, you know, if you go back to 2011, 2012, 2013, both leagues, um, USL was more at a crossroads. The NASL had come onto the scene and with a lot of ambition and, and some teams, and USL was at a point figuring out what was the best model to grow that league into what it is become now. Um, and one of those things was having a, not just a closer relationship with major league soccer, because the relationship with major league soccer was good, but a, a, a real connection to major league soccer and, and finding ways for collaboration. And it just so happened at that specific point in time, major league soccer didn't feel like it was getting enough uh, bang for its buck on the reserve league that it was running independently uh, and felt the best platform for player development um, would be either for MLS teams to affiliate with existing USL teams 
in a more direct way than it had done in the past. And then also to have the option of fielding a second team uh, in the USL. So uh, timing was good. You know, number of meetings and conversations uh, with the league and the owners, the team owners on both sides uh, over the course of maybe a year resulted in that partnership. And that partnership kind of evolved. The first year, I think it was just a bunch of affiliations and some, some interleague play. Um, and then it really, LA Galaxy was the first club that really got in and did the first, second team. And then the proliferation of that uh, since, but it's still evolving. So some teams have gone in and come back out. Some are still looking at it. USL is developing in Division Three, uh, which may be uh, interesting to certain uh, other MLS teams that haven't, you know, made the foray in. So it, it, it is fascinating to see how that continues to evolve. Overall, look, from where I sit, it's been good for the sports, been good for player development in terms of uh, players getting getting the opportunity. Just watching a game this weekend with Vancouver. Um, who had a second team in USL and we played San Antonio FC played against El Fabio Davies two years ago. He was 15 years old. Um, and then you watch him, you know, having that opportunity to get those pro games at a young age in a proper league playing in front of eight, 10,000 fans probably in some ways accelerated his development. And now he's at 17 years old. He's, he's doing the same things in major league soccer. So um, I, I think it's a, it's overall, it's a positive and, you know, it'll be interesting to see where that uh, relationship partnership continues to grow in the future. Well, let's talk about expansion with San Antonio FC. You guys want to be an MLS side. Where are we on those talks? So we're one of the 12 uh, applicants, formal applicants for this next round of Major League Soccer expansion, which, um, you know, was submitted, uh, I guess, January, February of 2017. Uh, as you guys know, um, two markets now have been selected as part of the first two of the four, Nashville and Cincinnati. Um, you know, we continue to believe that San Antonio would be uh, an asset uh, to Major League Soccer if selected uh, for a number of reasons. One, this is the type of market that's been successful in MLS. I compare it uh, to the market that I talked about earlier the, of similar size, Portland. Uh, Orlando, um, you know, Salt Lake. Ironically, all markets that had one major league team, an NBA team, before major league soccer uh, came in. Same dynamic we have here in San Antonio. The benefit is the owner of uh, the NBA team is the same owner of the soccer team. So, uh, proven track record of uh, operating a successful major league team in this market. Uh, we think soccer uh, would resonate similarly. We already have a uh, purpose-built soccer stadium, which we would have seen last week here for the Open Cup game against FC Dallas, that admittedly would need to be expanded. Um, it currently seats 8,000 seats. Uh, our plans would be to expand it to about 20,000 seats um, in order to move to, to Major League Soccer, and it's well located uh, within the market in terms of accessibility. So, uh, look, there's you know, every one of those markets has a lot to offer and bring to the table. You know, we're, uh, we're certainly biased in terms of uh, our, our feeling that the club, the ownership group, facilities uh, would add value uh, to Major League Soccer. And, you know, we continue to work through that process. 
Absolutely, Tim. And while I was there, I actually noticed there were some beams actually on the on the ground. Are those are those ready and just waiting for you know something uh, something to come up so you can expand? Well, uh, Courtney Hardman, who was um, the owner of the San Antonio Scorpions, which were the predecessor of San Antonio FC, when he had the stadium built, built it, uh, contemplating future expansion, uh, potentially MLS expansion or uh, expansion in the other league that may occur in the future. So there, is, there are uh, blueprints and plans to be able to expand it along that original vision. Um, so that certainly would be one option. And then, you know, we've spent internal time and energy, uh, looking at other different ways, um, that this stadium could be expanded as well to meet, uh, or exceed major league soccer standards. So a couple different routes that could go, but, uh, some of what you saw there was probably, yes, part of, uh, the thinking for a phase two or a phase three of the current Toyota field configuration. Now, what do you make of pre-course decision of relocation? Yeah, it's not really something that we were focused on here from a day-to-day standpoint. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, we think that the best way, um, you know, for us to prove that San Antonio is worthy of MLS expansion is to operate the best possible uh, USL team here in terms of market performance and, and everything else and putting that structure in place. So, uh, frankly, from, from my position, that's what we're spending our time in day in and day out, which is the things that we can control and things out of our control will get resolved when they get resolved. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll take on that situation, you know, as it, as it resolves itself. Absolutely, Tim. And uh, just out of curiosity, has there been any communication between you or between San Antonio FC and MLS regarding that potential relocation? Uh, look, we have regular communication with, with Major League Soccer about our expansion bid and all things related to our expansion bid. Um, so, uh, again, that's, that's pretty much as, you know, as far as I go into the specifics of that. But anything that uh, has pertinence or relevance to, uh, to that uh, going forward is, uh, is stuff that you know, we've talked with Major League Soccer about in the past. But and the stuff that you've read out there is, is, is obviously a, uh, a factor for us or factors for us in this, uh, in this process. But, you know, at this point, you know, the best thing that we can do is just keep our head down, keep working, um, and be prepared for the opportunity if it arises. I, I just want to push back a, a little bit more. Would the relocation potential of having an MLS team in Austin take San Antonio FC off the table as far as MLS expansion? And what would... Uh, San Antonio FC do in response? Um, you know, to, to answer your first question, uh, I don't believe so. I, mean, I believe there, there are two different markets. Um, you know, but you know, it's not a conversation that we've had recently. And uh, the second one is, is more speculative and, and not something that I get into. Well, Tim... Uh, was there anything else you wanted to add about San Antonio FC or just the future of San Antonio FC? Yeah, I, I think, you know, what I'd say, and it pretty much summarizes what we've talked about here before, is what we're working to do here is build the best possible professional soccer club, irrespective of what 
uh, league we're affiliated with at any point in time. Obviously, if you're in Major League Soccer, there's a scaling uh, to what you do. Uh, the model's different, and uh, the facilities are bigger, and the staffs are bigger, and um, everything's a little bit bigger. Uh, but if our future is uh, in the short to medium term, especially as one in the USL, then it's equally as bright. USL as a league is, is really growing by leaps and bounds, and uh, we're proud to be a part of it. Um, and and it's a, it would be a great platform for us to continue to to build what we're doing. And, and looks like uh, we're encouraged that we'll have no shortage of support within this community to uh, to build on that on that foundation as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Tim. It was really interesting hearing about uh, San Antonio FC and what y'all are doing down south. And I got a chance to see it, and it was awesome. So thank you for joining us, Tim. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks again. Well, there you have it. The Austin, Houston, and Dallas perspective. And then you got San Antonio. It's crazy stuff that's going on with the state of Texas and MLS. But, I mean, it comes. It all comes to one question is, where do we think this is all going? And I think the simple answer is we just don't know. There's too many variables, too many factors into the decision of relocation. Yeah, I think we just don't know. Um, if I were a betting man, which I am, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet because I don't know. To be honest with you, there's 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 nothing you can say. Like, oh, this is going to Austin. Oh, they're going to stay in Columbus. You just genuinely don't know. I mean, if you're MLS, you figure out a way to get it done in Austin. That's what we should expect. But it's 2018. Doesn't and as people say, we need crazy stuff. Does it look bad? If they don't go to Austin, yeah, I don't know if it makes it. I don't know if it makes it look. Well, yeah, it, it, if they relocate, it looks bad. It makes you Let's look just terrible when you think yeah. it makes a market that wants MLS says no, we don't want you, and they're stuck with your hands tied back to Columbus. You're forced to sell probably at a discounted rate, right? Because it's do? still going to be more than what he bought the club for. Right, but it's still going to be less than what he could have sold it for, potentially. So you kind of stuck your hands tied for Anthony Precourt. You look like a fool. You get forced off a potentially profitable league, right? Because it's growing year in and year out. So you're, you're pretty sad for Anthony Precourt, and you look like a complete idiot, too. There has to be a backup plan, which is why we keep referring to Sacramento. N- it, there's just so many things that could happen. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Anthony Precor stays in the league when goes to the Republic. Maybe the Republic's bid, excuse me. Maybe he just gets out of the league in general and goes to Columbus or he moves to Austin. There's just – I don't know what's going to happen. I think Jake does, though. Right, yeah, I know. I know everything. <laughs> um <laughs> No, I don't. I really don't know what to expect. What the outcome of this will be. Um, the nice thing Precourt does have is that rumored, um, the the rumored, uh, I guess, investment into Sacramento. If that if that's on the table for him, um, despite save his nose, despite his face, uh, is to basically you know sell Columbus 
and then jump on board with Sacramento. You know, he makes a short, a, a, a small profit with the crew and then can continue uh, to make money off Sacramento and MLS. So uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see how this whole thing plays out. We really will have to wait and see, and we're going to continue our coverage um, regarding the relocation process with the Columbus crew and where it all ends up. Follow us on Twitter at UncSamSoccerPod. And I don't know. Share the show. Subscribe. Tell us what you think. Give us your thoughts. Give we us always, five star ratings. We always enjoy when we get commentary because it always ends up being about Jake and something stupid he said. So if you found something uh, dumb that Jake <laughs> said, just, please let us know okay. so we can mock him because it's always fun. Until next time, listeners, thanks again. With Metro and the best deal in wireless, whatever your goal, however you hustle, you can rule your day. Get two lines with 5G access included for just $35 a month per line, period. With taxes and regulatory fees always included, so you know exactly how much you pay every month. All on America's largest 5G network at no extra charge. Plus, at Metro, get the latest 5G phones, like a Samsung Galaxy for less than 100 bucks when you switch. That's the best deal in wireless, so you can take control of your day wherever it takes you. Metro by T-Mobile, empowering you to rule your day. Requires auto pay. First month is $40 per line for two lines. Samsung A51 requires port from eligible carrier and ID validation limited to two per account. Coverage not available in some areas. See Metro by T-Mobile.com or store for details. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving.